Welcome. Glad you're here. Glad if you're visiting with us, you're here. You are our honored guest, and if you're looking for a, for a congregation to worship with, I'm, I'm biased. I, I know that I am. But uh, you can't beat Fountainhead Church of Christ. We, we love God here. And we love God's children here. We love sinners here, just like God does. And uh, if, if you're a sinner, you're in good company. Because you're in a room full of them. <laughs> We're all sinners, even the ones standing in front of you right now. And we want you to be a part of us. I, since the last time I stood in front of you, uh, uh, about three weeks ago, I had a birthday. I turned uh, 47. I turned 47. In 1979, 8-8-1979, I was born again, though. July the 2nd, 1966, I was born. But on 8-8-1979, I was born again. Just like these two young ladies, they remind me uh, of, of, of what I went through. Even, even on that day, the, the butterflies of going forward, the, the, the understanding of what I needed to do to be saved. I remember that. I committed my life to following Jesus Christ. I fell along the way. There were some times that I didn't do what God wanted me to do. But I recognized that and I came back to God. And and today I want to say to you that uh, I'm more committed to the leader of my life, Jesus Christ, than I ever have been before. Jesus Christ is the leader of my life. And if he's not the leader of your life, I want him to be. I want him to be. Because with Jesus as the leader of our life, Jesus as the ultimate leader, the ultimate teacher, we can get through anything. Amen? We can get through anything. If we just put God first, as we said this morning. Jesus is the ultimate leader and Jesus teaches that effective leaders work. Okay? Uh, Little Brooke, she had leaders in her life. Savannah, she had a leader in her life. Little Jenna and her came in the office this morning. Jenna, no, she's just a little girl in the church. Sure, she's just a little girl, period. Blossoming into a beautiful young lady. But, but But she's, you know, people might not look at her and say that she's a leader. She's not the preacher. She's not the elders. I'm, not, I'm certainly not saying that we should, the, the ladies in the church should usurp, usurp authority over the men. That's not what I'm saying, please. But each and every one of us are leaders. You mamas, you are leaders. You daddies, you are leaders. The elders here, yes, they're leaders. The preacher here, yes, he's a, he's a leader. The deacons are, are leaders, yes. But each and every one of us are leaders. Each and every one of us have been told to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We've all been commanded to do that. We all are leaders in some way. And I think that's what we've got to do. What we've got to do in the church, what we've got to do is is multiply that leadership. We've got to multiply the leadership. That's what happened at, at Horizons. That's what's been happening. It's working here, Michael. I don't know if you changed that or me, but it, I, I clicked the thing and it changed. Um, 
my life, his business was the theme. And the whole theme was surrounding the number 33. It was the 33rd year of horizons. But Jesus Christ had lived 33 years on this earth. Okay? And we were looking at his life and how he was the ultimate effective leader. And what did he teach about being a leader? That's what we studied in the ladies' classes, in the men's classes. It's a leadership camp. And what I love about this camp is there's a small group of people, a small group of people, and what they're doing is they're, they're getting this camp together so that how many were there, 1,200 or so all together? A whole group. They're multiplying the leadership in the group. The, the, those kids who went were the future elders, the future deacons, the future preachers, the future wives of preachers, the future wives of elders, the future Bible class teachers. They were the leaders of the congregation now and in the future. That's what I loved about that camp because it's multiplying the leadership. And we've got to do that. And, and, and I'm bringing this back to you today. Uh, if your head, this is what was taught at, at the, uh, at the uh, Horizons Leadership Camp uh, 33. Uh, and I've broke this down into a Sunday night sermon series, okay? I want to teach these here in the next four uh, Sunday nights. Uh, the head of a leader. The heart of a leader, the habits of a leader, and the, and the hands of a leader. And I want to tell you tonight, I want to start with the hands, okay? If your head is right, if your heart is right, if your habits are right, then your hands are going to be about the Lord's work. They're going to be about the, about the Lord's work. Jesus is, is the ultimate leader. And tonight, if we had a sermon title to this, we would call this Jesus in the Hands of a Leader. We're going to look at Jesus' teaching tonight. If you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke, the book of Luke chapter 6. We're going to look at the book of Luke chapter 6 and see a teaching of Jesus tonight to where he shows us how to be a better leader in the fact that we've got to do something We've got to be the hands of and have the hands of a leader, just like Jesus did. He's the ultimate teacher, the ultimate leader. And a true Christian must work, Jesus says. It says, keep, stay there in, in, uh, in Luke, but you can see on the screen here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 here, it says, For, grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is, a gift of, is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We're saved by grace through faith, the grace of God, the free gift of God, all right? We're saved by grace through faith, the fact that we heard God's word, we, we believed it. Like little Savannah, she heard God's word, she believed it, she, re, she repented of her sins, she confessed Jesus Christ before others. She was baptized into Jesus Christ by that faith. That's God's plan. We didn't come up with that plan. You see, that's, that's not Chad's plan. That's not Eric's plan. That's not Billy Joe's plan. That's God's plan. We, didn't, we probably would have come up with something different. But God came up with this way. By grace, by God's favor, by his free gift that we didn't, we didn't do anything for, okay? By his free gift... Through faith, by the fact that we obeyed through faith, we've been saved. That not of ourselves, we didn't work for this, we didn't do anything for this. But notice, we've got, we got to reconcile with verse 10. 
Not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, wait a minute. In one breath, he's saying, not of works, lest anyone should boast, but we're created in, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We've got to reconcile verse 10. We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. And by our works, we glorify God. If you, again, stay in Luke. We're going to be in Luke in just a minute. But look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 here on the screen. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. How do men glorify our Father in heaven? They see our good works. By our hands, what our hands do. If we are true leaders in the church, by our hands, we'll show Jesus. What we do shows Jesus. It says in John chapter 15, verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Let's look at Luke's version of this. Luke talks about the fruit here in just a minute. And I, I want to get to it here in just a minute. He talks about the fruit. And he has a very, very simple teaching about leadership in the church and how we can be a leadership leader in the church. And this is given by the ultimate leader, the master teacher, Jesus Christ. In verse 17 of Luke chapter 6, Jesus begins uh, to teach. This is Luke's version of the Beatitudes. Okay? We can find the parallel to this in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7. Okay, this is Luke's account. Luke's account is a little bit shorter than, than Matthew's account. He starts with the Beatitudes here. The Beatitudes uh, are started to be given in verse 20. He gives blessings and he gives woes. Blessing are you poor. Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for, for you, shall, you shall laugh. And then he talks about in verse 27, look down, he talks about love. He talks about love. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. This was so foreign of a concept to the people that he was teaching at that time. So foreign of a concept because what they were taught was eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth. You hurt me, I hurt you. We even see that in, in modern Israel today. If you bomb somebody in Israel, they go bomb you with lots of planes and, and tanks and stuff, don't they? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Jesus, that's not what he's saying here. He's saying love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those. This was totally foreign to what they had learned before. Verse 37, he talks about judging. Do not judge, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your bosom. For the, with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Don't judge. Verse 39, he says, and he spoke to them a parable. He talks about the parable that the, that the blind can't lead the blind. And he, he, he gives that, that, that illustration of the, of the plank, you know, that beam. You can almost see him picking up something like a two-by-four and putting it in his eye. He says, it, you know, before you can get the little teeny tiny speck out of your brother's eye, first get this big old fat beam out of your eye. Before you start judging people. It's hard to judge people when you're not right yourself. When you're being a hypocrite. 
is what he's saying here. The blind can't lead the blind. Remove the plank. Then look at verse 43. This is getting to the heart of what I want to talk about tonight. Verse 43. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit. Nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from from bramble bushes. When I was a little boy, my grandmother, my Mimi, she had an apple tree outside her house. It had green apples on it. And as a little boy, I was probably six or seven, probably about the time I was... I was watching Hank Aaron, you know, about that same time. I was out in her front yard playing. And I looked up and, you know, at that age, all of the apples that I ever ate were good apples. I had never eaten a bad apple in my life. All of them were good. So when I saw that tree with apples in it, why would I not think that they were all good apples? And I reached up and I picked me one. Now, I didn't know my grandmother had that close of an eye on me, but she did. She did. And she came, oh, no, don't bite into that. Don't bite into it. And she reached in her apron and she grabbed a knife. Now, beware of grandmothers who bear knives. Because they do something else besides cut apples open. They also cut switches with that knife. And I got switched a lot. When I was little. But she took that knife and and she took that apple and she cut it right in half. And she opened it up and inside were just, oh, it was nasty. It was like the picture you see. Just worms all in it. And and, and, there were five or six worms and it was black in the center. Do you think I went up and picked me another one? No. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's what he's saying. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. If your tree, if your, if your head, if your heart, if your habit, it, habits are right, what your hands do will be right too. Because a good tree will bear good fruit. Verse, 40, verse 45. Verse 45. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. What does the Lord require of us? The Lord requires our time. The Lord requires our actions. The Lord requires our love. The Lord, the Lord requires our obedience. But he also requires our work. I don't know if any of you have ever read this book before. It's in, it's in my library, my Kindle library. I think it's what it's in. The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John Maxwell. It's a really great book, especially if you're in business, okay? Because he's teaching people how to be a leader. That's what he's teaching. He's been a businessman and leader all of his life, and he's teaching other folks how to be leaders. And we all understand the the law of gravity, right? What goes up must come down. That's a law. You 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 can't beat this law. In fact, you have to use the law to try to refute it. Okay, but the law uh, of 
of uh, evolution. Is that a law? No, it's still just a theory, isn't it? A lot of people like to make it a law, but it's not a law. There's, it's the theory of evolution, but it's the law of gravity. All right? What Mr. Maxwell's done is he's gone through and he said, here are 21 things that I've learned over the years as a leader, okay? And these are laws. I mean, if you want to be a good leader, you've got to really do this, okay? Is what he's saying. And I just want to touch on a couple of these. The 18th law of leadership is the law of sacrifice. The 18th law of leadership is the law of sacrifice. What would you give up? As a leader, you've got to be willing to sacrifice. As a good daddy, you've got to be willing to sacrifice for your family. As a good mama, you've got to be willing to sacrifice for your husband. As a good elder, you've got to be willing to sacrifice for the church. As a good, as a good deacon, you've got to be willing to sacrifice your time. As a good student, a, a child of God, you've got to be willing to sacrifice. What's the most expensive thing you own? Think about that just for a minute. You might think of your house. You might think of your car or a boat or a watch. You might be thinking of lots of things. But the most expensive thing you own is your time. And when you give your time to the Lord, you are sacrificing for the Lord. And you're a good leader. You're a good leader. There's a lot of people here that sacrifice their time. I gave this out at the beginning. I want us to be... Good leaders. You wondered where the B was going to come in, didn't you? Here it is. I want us to be good leaders. The B stands for something, the E stands for something, and the other E stands for something. Okay? And you can take notes as we go along. But if we're going to be good leaders, if we're going to be good leaders, we've got to be about the business of doing things, working for God. Okay? We've got to do the works that we've been created for, the good works that we've been created for. And to be good leaders, the first work that I would suggest to you that we need to be doing is the work of benevolence. That's the first B in our B is the word benevolence. We've got to be about the work of benevolence. If you're a Christian, you're already a leader and your hands will be about the work of benevolence. Benevolence is sharing. Sharing what you have. Benevolence is giving. Benevolence is helping. Benevolence is caring. We've got to be that kind of person. We've got to be benevolent people. People will see that and they'll glorify God. They won't glorify us. They may say, oh, that Mr. That Mr. Chatter, that Sean, he's such a good guy. I love him so much. He gave me, he did this, he helped me. But when it all is said and done, they're going to glorify God for what we've done. Something very important that we've got to do in our benevolence is we've got to give to the poor. Now, who are the poor, we might ask? Well, the poor are those who don't have enough to help themselves, okay? They don't have enough to help themselves. They may not have enough money to pay a bill, okay? They might not have enough gas to get across town, okay? They may not have enough love in their life, to make it through a tough time. They may not have enough knowledge in the scriptures to understand what God's will is for them. That's part of benevolence too. 
Let me show you some scriptures here. You can stay in Luke, but in Galatians chapter chapter two and verse ten, uh, Paul, you know, he he's he's writing to the Galatians, and he had gone to see the the apostles. Uh, and they had talked to him, James and, and Peter had, the, the leaders of the Jerusalem church had talked to him. And as they talked to him, they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was eager to do. That's what Paul wanted to do. He wanted to help the poor. That's what James and Peter wanted him to do. He wanted, they wanted him to remember that, hey, you've got you've to help the poor. Look over here at, at Matthew 26, verse 11. Jesus said, we're always going to have the poor with us. We'll always have the poor with us. There will always be someone in need of something. They'll always be there, and the church needs to be there when they need it. We need to be the hands, the feet, the eyes, the ears, the body of Jesus Christ on this earth that go and do and talk and hear and listen and give. We've got to be about the work of benevolence. It says here in Galatians chapter 6 verse 10, Therefore as we have opportunity, let us do, to, do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. And we understand from Matthew chapter 11, John was about to be beheaded. He was in prison and he sent some of his disciples to see Jesus and they were going to ask Jesus, Are you really the Christ? And he, he says to John, he says, you tell John, you run tell John, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and notice what the poor have. The poor have the gospel preached to them. Church, we have got to do that. That's one of the greatest gifts that we can give, the greatest acts of benevolence that we can be about. The work of the church is to give the gospel to those who need it, to those who don't have it, to those who are poor of it, those who are poor in spirit. Luke chapter 6, verse 31 says, And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Hey, if you were lost, if you were hurt, if you needed help, wouldn't you want somebody to help you? If you needed comfort, if you needed money, if you needed somebody's time, wouldn't you want somebody to help you? Well, we should treat others the same way. Leaders are benevolent. The next in our B is edification. This first E stands for edification. Leaders edify. Leaders build up those around them. Jesus did that. Look over at the, at the Beatitudes in Luke chapter 6. Notice what he does here. Notice what Jesus does. Notice how Jesus builds up the people. Luke chapter 6, uh, beginning with verse 20. Blessed are you poor. These are the people who are down. These are the downtrodden. Notice what he says. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now. They were hungry. Look what he says. You shall be filled. Look at what Jesus says. He builds people up. He's edifying people. He's a leader and he edifies. Blessed are you who weep now. For you shall laugh. He's building them up. He's not tearing them down. Leaders build people up. You know, we've had not only those this morning, we've had others come this past week, come forward and, and needing our prayers. We've had others in the past. We know people in this congregation who are hurting right now. 
Are we going to be the leaders who help the poor and help them see the kingdom of God in us? Are we going to be the leaders who know people who are hungry and we give them what they need? Are we going to be the leaders who see people weep and help them to laugh? Are we going to be that type of leader? Are we going to be a, a, leader, a leader who is edifying? One of the laws, the irrefutable laws of leadership is the law of the pitcher. The law of the pitcher, Mr. Maxwell says, a pitcher's worth a thousand words, right? A pitcher's worth a thousand words. And we need to be the pitcher that other people see. We, as a leader, we've got to show our followers what we want them to do. Elders, if you want more leaders in this congregation, show them what they should be doing. Deacons, deacons, stop doing it all by yourself. Go and find somebody and get them to help you what needs to be done. All those of you who live outside and are not part of that leadership, go out and find somebody and show them how to live the gospel so that they can live the gospel too. Be a leader. Build them up. That's what leaders do. They, they go about the law of the pitcher. Here we have a pitcher right here. Does anybody remember Dick Winters? Do anybody know who Dick Winters is? Raise your hand if you know who Dick Winters is. Yeah, a lot of you know who Dick Winters is. Sure. Battle of the Bulge. Band of Brothers. Maybe you saw that show. Band of Brothers. The, the guy on top, that's the real Dick Winters. And the guy on the bottom, that's the guy who played him in the, in the show. Band of Brothers. World War II, Easy Company was going up a road, and they were going through, trying to go through a town. Let's turn that off if we can. They're trying to go through a town. And the Germans are cutting them in half. They're cutting them in half. And Dick Winters, Major Dick Winters, he knows, he knows for a fact that if these people, if they don't move forward, they're going to die. If they try to retreat, if they try to retreat, they're dead. If they try to run away, they're dead. He knows that the only way to, only way to, only way to get through this trying time that they're in, that this machine gun is cutting them down, is to move forward. He runs back and forth across the road. They're pinned down in the ditches. He runs back and forth across the road telling these guys, move forward, move forward, move forward. And they won't do it. They're stuck. They're scared. They're, they're in their happy little place. They're trying to find some kind of way not to get killed and they're not going to move. Finally, Dick Winter stands in the middle of the road, plants his feet. Bullets are shooting all around him and he says, you guys move forward. They see their leader doing it and they do it too. They see the bravery of their leader. We need brave leaders like that in the church. We need brave leaders in the church who will stand their ground no matter the flaming arrows that are shot at them and they'll stand with their shield of faith and their sword of truth and their helmet of salvation and they'll, be, they'll stand fast in the truth that they're standing in, that they're shot in and they'll take care of the problem. We need leaders like that. That's the kind of leader I want to follow. I want to follow that kind of leader. That builds me up. That makes me know that, hey, you can do it. I can do it too. Look at, look at 
stay in, stay in Luke. Look at Romans here. Look at Romans chapter 14, verse 19. From these scriptures, I want you to understand what edifies us. What, what does build us up? Okay? What does build us up? Romans chapter 14, verse 19 says this. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which, by which one may edify another. We've got to pursue peace. And notice what will edify us. Peace will help edify us. Don't you want peace in your home? If you're a good mom or a good daddy, you'll make sure there's peace in your home. Peace builds your family up. Peace keeps you, keeps you going. If you're, a, if you're a leader in the church, don't you pray for peace? Don't you want peace in the church? Don't you want everybody to get along with each other? Hey, if we can get along with each other, if we can have peace in the church... We're going to grow. We're going to, we're going to, not just numerically, individually. We're going to be built up. We're going to be edified. We've got to pray for peace. Look at this next one here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as also you are doing. Oh, how much comfort we've been given today. Oh, how much comfort we've been given. And that comfort builds us up. Don't you want somebody sometimes to be able to say, help me, and they help you. They, they are the shoulder that you can cry on. They are the one that you can go and talk to. They are the, the ear that will listen. We all want that. We all need to be leaders, and we all need to be about edification. And one way that we can edify others is to give comfort. Give comfort. Leaders comfort one another. And then look here at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 verse 32. So now brethren I commend you to God and the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. If you find yourself alone and there's nobody that's going to help you build you up and there's nobody around to follow, what can you do? What are you going to do if there's nobody to follow, if there's no church to go to, if there's nobody there to lend a helping hand? If you have no one, what can you do? You can go to God's word. God's Word is able to build you up. God's Word is. God has made it to where the only one we really have to depend on is Him. Really, the only, only one you can count on is God, and the only thing you can count on is change. Things are going to change, and the only one that won't is God. If you want others to follow you, if you want others to follow you, be the pitcher. Do the things that you want them to do. Do the things that you want them to follow. Go to, go to worship. If you want your children to go to worship, you be the pitcher, parents, and you go. If you want people to volunteer for your specific thing, well, hey, you be a part of it too. You work hard, just as hard as anybody else. If you want people to study, will you study. If you want people to give, will you give. If you want people to attend, if you want people to teach, if you want people to restore, if you want people to help, well, then you help. You teach. You restore. You give them the picture that they can look at and say, that's the way I want to be. Be a leader. Be a leader. Leaders edify. Edification, though, be, 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 be careful. Be careful when you do this because edification results in multiplication. Once we start edifying one another and start building everybody up, Everybody's going to want what we've got at Fountainhead. Everybody's going to want it. 
They're going to be coming in droves. They'll want this. It's attractive to people to have other folks be able to build them up. They'll want that. Good leaders will do that. And so we've got to be ready. We've got to be ready to evangelize. That's the third E in our B. We've got to be about the work of evangelism. Be about the work of evangelism. Be a good leader. We must evangelize. When we go about soul winning, we can't take our eye off the ball. Okay? And I think in the church a lot, that's what we've done. We've taken our eye off the ball. You know, if you're playing golf, I saw some of you guys in the paper, and y'all was playing golf. If you play golf and you look up this way and you swing, you're going to hit the ball very hard or very far. Well, no. If you're, if you're facing that baseball right there and you look behind you and you try to swing the bat or you just close your eyes and try to swing the bat, are you going to hit the ball? You might have contact with it, but you're not going to hit it very far, if, if at all. What we've done in the church is we've taken our eye off the ball. The ball is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got to go about doing our job as Christians and making sure that people understand the gospel and obey it and then continue to teach them after they've obeyed. We've, we've fallen down on that, brethren. We've fallen down on that. The good preacher was right last week. We need to have a new converts class. We most certainly do. We had one at one time and it fell apart. We need to have another one. We need to have it. We've got two that are prime examples for being in the class right now. Let's have the class in faith knowing that more are going to come. Let's knock these walls out in faith knowing that more are going to come and fill them up. You know, I brought this rubber band. I put it around my... Put it around my my pencil tonight, just so I wouldn't forget it. Uh, you know, I've looked at the numbers here since 1976. That's when a lot of the good numbers are, all right? And what Fountainhead is in is in a rubber band effect. I'm telling you the truth. What I'm telling you is the truth. We're in a rubber band effect. In, 19, in the 19, late 1970s, when you, before you left, Brother Shockley, 176 was the Sunday morning attendance. Hey, not long ago, we were at one in the 190s. But you know what? People come in here, they see it as full as it is right now, and they're not going to come back because they don't think there's any place for them. It's called the 80-20, it's called the 80% rule. And that's in any organization, not just the church, but it is. And we're always going to snap back. We're going to get on up. We'll, we'll climb back up. Just keep it like it is. I promise you. Just hide and watch. Hide and watch. We'll get back up to the 190s again, and we'll go right back. If we don't do something about it, we have got to tear down these walls. But we ain't going to do it, and the elders aren't going to even start to do it, if the people here don't start working. Why should they do it if we don't do anything about it? We've got to do that in faith. We've got to stop having this rubber band effect over and over and over again. Got to keep our eye on the ball. Here's, here's a lot of the problem in the church today. Bible study is an entity into itself. Benevolence has become an entity into itself. The building has become its own monster. Programs and preaching, they've become their own monsters. 
what we've got to do is make sure that all of these things point toward leading others to Jesus Christ. If our building is not helping with that, then we need to do something about it. If our preacher is not doing that, we need to be doing something about him. I'm talking to me. Yes, I am. If, 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 if we're not being benevolent, if there are no Bible studies, if our Bible studies aren't, aren't, aren't conducive even to the casual visitor that might come in, we need to do something about it. Everything should be toward it. I mean, that's our job. He didn't say go into all the world and build a building. He didn't say go into all the world and, and do a program. He said go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's what our job is. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Soul winning means achieving the end. Achieving the end, the, the, the purpose. What's our purpose? There's the 14th law of the buy-in. The 14th law of the buy-in. Have you bought into Jesus Christ's message? Have you bought into Jesus Christ's life? Have you bought into Jesus Christ's commandments? When you became a Christian, and that's what we talked, talked with Savannah about today. When you become a Christian, you have got to count the costs. And if you're not willing to do the work, why become a Christian? We've got to buy into what the Lord, the leader's vision is.